Pod at the end of a long week, Drancer. Long week for a lot of people and a long week for the hockey club as the Vancouver Canucks fall 3-1 to the Calgary Flames. So they're home from the road and yet here we are. Same old, same old. Uh, just before we get up and running and again, people have come to us because uh, they want local. They want Canuck content and we certainly will deliver that. But I do want to say, if you found us the other day for the first time, thank you and welcome. If you are a new subscriber to The Athletic, uh, absolutely a huge thank you. And of course, to all our long-term, long-time loyal VIPs, we certainly thank you as well. Uh, It kind of feels like the aftermath of the Toronto game the other night, where the Canucks want to tell them they did enough good things to win, but... Scoreboard has a say in all of this, and at the end of the night, uh, they come out second best and moral victories and silver linings and everything else. None of that matters. None of it matters because the hole is just getting deeper by the day. Yeah, you know, this was the game that they tried to tell themselves the Toronto game was, right? Like the Toronto game, yeah, they were really good for 40 minutes, but the Maple Leafs sleepwalked through it and then turned the Jets on and just blew them away, right? Like that was... That was kid stuff. This was the game in which the Canucks really did outplay their opponent, like truly outplayed their opponent, were the better team, uh, deserved way better, and a pair of funky deflections, including a a deflection off of Jordy Ben, then off of Nate Schmidt's hand uh, that, you know, post-game Schmidt was like, yeah, I I mean, look, that's never happened to me in my career. (laughs) Like, welcome to Vancouver. Welcome to Vancouver, Nate. Um, (laughs) That, uh, that was incredible and yet you know they say in hockey that you make your own luck right and I don't really believe that like I believe that puck luck is a variable that teams kind of can't control like puck luck weird penalty calls things that go against you like there are things outside your control in hockey the way that you make your own luck isn't necessarily like the Flames deserved that because they're an assertive winner and the Canucks didn't because, you know, they're a hapless loser, <laughs> um, even though both things may end up being true by the season's end. Uh, certainly the latter probably is at this point. But the way you make your own luck in hockey is if you're a good team that controls play the way the Canucks did last night. But, but if you do that all the time, consistently, you give yourself margin. You give yourself a cushion where you can usually overcome bad bounces. Now, not necessarily in one game, not necessarily in a playoff overtime, right? Which is why the playoffs and overreading playoff successes is a fool's game, as as perhaps this Canucks season yes. has taught you, right? right? Yes. Um, but, you know, if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs and you're 11-2-1 and you haven't even played that well, right? Like, that's what's scary about the Maple Leafs. They're, they're just racking up wins nursing a lead atop the Canadian division at no point have they played their best game. (laughs) If the game that the Canucks played last night and lost three, one to Calgary was played by the Maple Leafs, everyone would be like, well, you know, that happens over the course of a season. No big deal. And it wouldn't be the Maple Leafs would still have like 98% shot of making the playoffs, 90% shot of winning the all Canadian division. Like they'd be fine. The Canucks are on a five-game losing streak, and they have that those bounces go against them. And now they're six and eleven, right? They have three more games here against Calgary. Almost surely, Markstrom will play every one of them, right? Markstrom has stopped ninety of ninety-three shots that he's faced against the Canucks, and 
Like, it's over. It, it, I mean, it's not over, over. I, I think I, I'll give the Canucks the rest of the week before I start digging deep into the top 10 draft prospects and looking at, you know, the trade value of, of <laughs> the possible rentals they could sell off. Um, we're certainly going to wait two weeks before we do Alex Edler. Will he wave? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, 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 but we're, we're getting there, man. Like they're at 5% playoff odds in, in Dom decisions model. Like because they've played more games than everyone else, because they've only won a third of their games, because they haven't managed their losses and, and like picked up points in any of those losses. Like it, it you know, it, like they need to have a seven game win streak or, or like a six or seven game win streak. And they need to have it in the next game or two. Like it needs to start now. <laughs> and without short of that, short of that, this, this is kind of over. And I know that's tough for Canucks fans to hear. It should be, uh, it should be tough for the organization to hear. Um, but, but that's sort of where we're at. And, and that's how you, that's, that's the way you build your own, like, that's the way you make your own luck in hockey. You control games well enough that you win enough games that when the bounces go against you, they're not completely devastating. Last night, the Canucks were full value. They should have won. Uh, almost everything went their way in the game last night, with the exception of Jacob Markstrom stopping everything. And it should be noted, Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin eating the Bo Horvat line's lunch, right? Like Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin were tremendous last night too. Um, you know, a couple bounces go against the Canucks. Uh, some some pinballing pucks find their way off two Canucks defenders and and behind Thatcher Demko. And man, that like it's it's not the season, but boy, you can see the end from here. And that's wild. Just 17 games into this year. Right. Like, so you think back the last 12 months and obviously the world has gone through a ton. And it was around this time last year, the Canucks were sort of scuffling to the finale and then COVID hit. And we don't know if they were going to be a playoff team, but they got involved. But that month of February last year, there were some real warning signs and things were starting to get away from them. And then the break happened and Travis Green spent a lot of time. Uh, as he's told us repeatedly, you know, trying to figure out how to come up with a better defensive structure. They get into the bubble. They have some fun. The city is engaged. It's summer hockey, but people are loving it and they're buying in because the Canucks are having some success. And then another COVID break. And when I think back to all those pods that we kept pushing out in November and December, and we were like, you know, we just got to get hockey back. We need to get back to the rink. It's got to happen here. And and then, you know, news comes that, yes, in fact, there's going to be a season. And, like, I remember, like, how many times, you know, let's go, you know, the, the excitement that we got hockey back after all of this and, and all that oh, we've all been through, the excitement. It's not even Valentine's Day. And we've written no, them I off. Know. They're done. They're finished. Like, it's incredible. My head, my head's spinning all week, but it's spinning because of that, too, that they didn't even get to the 20-game mark in a 56-game season like all this talk of meaningful hockey in years gone by, meaningful hockey in March. They're not going to play meaningful hockey in March in a 56 game season. <laughs> that started in January. That started in <laughs> mid January. Oh my God. You're right. You're right. You're straight up right. They're, they're probably like, you know, unless they sweep the next three against Calgary and keep going, right? And keep going. You're right. Right? Like, that's what it's going to take to get back into this. It's going to take so much. It's going to take something special, improbable, unlikely. And you're right. They're probably not going to play meaningful hockey in March. Like, that is that is crazy. But even last year, Tom, to be a 500 team in the mud puddle at the bar, at the bubble, when play was halted, it required a 14-3 and three stretch. 
from mid-December till the end of January. Like, what are the chances of replicating that? And even with that kind of stretch, winning 14 of 17, it didn't guarantee them anything. And and, yeah. and so it happened. You can't take it away. But if you just remove it from the conversation, it leaves a picture of a team that wasn't very good on a lot of those other nights. And they found nope. something in the bubble. And good for them. And as I said, it reinvigorated the city and people were into it. But... Man, it just it feels like such a false hope now when you look back at what they accomplished. And I don't want to dredge that up. We've done that on this podcast. But this is who they are right now. And they are such a flawed hockey club. And, you know, and I guess for me, and you were in the rink. I wasn't last night, but I thought I saw that you wrote about it. Like It does feel like Elias Pettersson is starting to find some form. And mm-hmm. you want to believe that that's something to hang your hat on if you're the hockey club, that your best player has actually played some pretty damn good hockey here the last little while. And what does the club have to show for it? They've got three goals in their last three games. They have one even strength goal. One even strength goal in the last three games. And that was Besser last night. And Besser has 10 and good for him. He's had a nice start individually and offensively, but it is such a long list of guys now that just aren't contributing they're just it's not happening you can't win hockey games with one goal especially when you give up as many as the Canucks have and yeah they've tightened things up here recently and that's part of the frustration too is that if last night was when they were on if they thought that they were on their game it's just like Toronto where you know that's how hard they have to work to lose by a couple of goals it's tough it's hard to watch Yeah, well, and, you know, power play's not clicking. No. Goaltending's not bailing them out, right? Like, the goaltending's been fine. Thatcher Demko was definitely fine last night. That's not at all on him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, they're, they're just not – this isn't the tri-league, right? Like, no. you're you, – they're losing games, and they're losing games they can't lose. And that's true of – like, every game's a must-win. They've lost six in a row now. Um yeah, it's, I mean, look, it's going to be tough. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of apathy here without this team making changes. And I just don't know. I don't know if that's coming. Like, certainly it's not going to come after last night. They performed well enough, you'd think, that, that you know, it's not going to alter plans. Um, clearly, with how hard it is to replace everybody. Like, it's hard. You have to quarantine to be around the team. I know. Like, you, yeah. can't, you can't just replace uh, anyone. And, you know, I, I know there's a lot of reporting from the likes of Sadie Shaw and, and Friedman and, you know, every uh, Dan Murphy, everybody is, is sort of suggesting that the team, you know, honestly may have made the decision like a while ago that they were going to move on from the current general manager. Uh, but at season's end, right? Like the hope was to soldier through and remain competitive in the North Division and sort of see where you go and do a full search and on and on. And, you know, one wonders, like, if the season is, you know, if, if locally people begin to realize that the Canucks season is basically over, and, and I think there's a real chance that that snowballs, you know, over the course of this family day-long weekend, um, you know, do you damage the brand if you just sit by and wait, right? Like, that's going to be the big question. Do you damage the brand? Um does that prompt ownership to make a change? And, you know, I think when we look back at this offseason, right, and and I still kind of defend this offseason, like, in the context of 
the club losing or, you know, shedding 20 million in salary. Like, I don't hate the moves that they made. It's just that the sins of the past in terms of the, the cap allocation problems, right? Like, were critical. Were critical. Like, everyone was saying for years, right? Like, what's so frustrating about this in a lot of ways is that this was all foreseeable and just a wide swath of this market refused to accept it. You know what I mean? It was like these, these, you know, overpayments are going to be a problem. Like, no, there's no cap issues, right? Like this team has taken a step back. No, they're, they're the best team in Canada. Look at the playoffs. Toronto can't win in the playoffs. Montreal has no high end skill. It's just like, what? I don't know. I don't even know what we're doing because this was completely foreseeable. And yet in a world where you have to cut 20 million off your books, like almost 25% of your player personnel budget. Like, I don't know that the club's moves were indefensible by any means. Um, and a lot of their problems have not been the result of Nate Schmidt or Brayden Holpe or the players who came in. Certainly not not because of Niels Hoaglander, who may have been maybe their best forward, maybe yeah. their best two-way forward this season. Um, it's not about that. It's about, you know, the power play is not clicking. The goaltender, Jacob Markstrom, was a core piece. Like, he was a core piece. They can't. They're not interesting. They're not interesting as a hockey club without him. And, you know, Pedersen and Hughes just haven't been Pedersen and Hughes from 1920. Like, they just haven't. And you put those things together and this is a, you know, this is a bad team. This isn't even a mediocre team. This is a bad team. This is a team that's only ahead of Ottawa and Detroit by by point percentage so far this season. Um, they're bad. And that is unacceptable. Like that, that is absolutely unacceptable. It has to be, has to be unacceptable in this marketplace. It is, I think it is, and it has to be unacceptable to this ownership group. And man, this, there's going to be like, this is not a quick turnaround either. Like this is not, this is not 2014, 15 where season went off the rails for whatever reason. And you're going to be fine the next year. Like this is a team that needs work, needs serious work. And it's, you know, there's money coming off the books, but there's also Pedersen and Hughes getting their second contracts, and that's going to take up most of that cap space. There's not a ton of flexibility here. Uh, there's still $12 million on the books that are going to be dedicated to Roussel, Beagle, and, and Erickson. That's not even their fourth line, right? Like, those, the, those three guys probably aren't in the lineup every night next season. Um, they're going to be taking up $12 million in a in a flat cap world. Like, that's going to require work. Uh, the goaltending is a problem. Jake Vertanen might be immovable with a backloaded second year. Braden Holpe might be tough to move with a backloaded second year, right? Like this, this is a multi-year restock that they're facing now. Frankly, right? And, and well, that I, sucks. No, I, I hear you, and and I think it has to be said repeatedly, and and it will be on this podcast because I mean that's what we do. We look at this thing and, and we're not trying to sugarcoat it. I mean, this is what it is, and I think people are coming to that realization too that. Even if this year's flushed, that next year presents so many of the same challenges. Uh, and, and then you ask about timing of you know change and when change is going to come. And like, don't you owe it to whoever's coming in to have a little bit of lead up to assess what he and his group have to work with? And you talked about the Pedersen and the Hughes contracts, obviously. Like it's not going to be easy to move off whatever a new general manager inherits. And yet at the same yeah. time, like, you know, trade deadlines are coming and trade deadlines coming sooner than usual because of the shortened season. Like, do you want this management group 
making any sort of desperation play at the deadline that could further hamper things. Like, I, there's just so many questions. And, you know, yeah. on, the, on the issue of brand building, like I've seen so many people and say, oh, they're, they're not going to do anything till the end of the year because they're not selling any tickets. And they're not. There aren't people in the seats. But you know where people are? People are at home. They've got nothing to do. They are watching. At least they were watching to start the season. Like I think the interest in the Canucks this year, coming off the bubble, was probably as high as it's been in a long time to start a season. And this is the reward. 17 games in, this is the payoff. I mean, I can't even use that word. But my hunch is that TV ratings are, are probably big, or at least they were early on. I, I think apathy will set in here. We've seen it before in this market. And people get frustrated for a while, but then... They're just like, screw it. Like, I, got, I I can't. I can't. This investment of emotion that I try to make with this hockey club, it's just, it's not worth it. And so I do think that there is some real damage being done to the brand, not by people not buying tickets, but people just making up their mind that they're going to have to be won back. And the status quo certainly isn't going to do it. It's not nearly good enough. And what comes next? I guess that is the question. But those are the things I think that ownership certainly has to ponder right now. Yeah. And and I do also think when we look back at this too, like when we look back at this offseason, the, the critical moment that will stand out, you know, in the same way that the Canucks not trading Kessler at the trade deadline. Now, now look, I, I think it's important because I thought about it a lot after I wrote that Ryan Kessler piece. That was like almost a year ago today. Um, was like Sedin week. Well, this was <laughs> almost it. a year ago. No, today. it was today. Yeah. It was Feb twelfth. It was today. Today was Sedin. The jerseys went to the rafters. So, yeah. So a day, a, a day, uh, three hundred sixty-six days ago, I, 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 I ran that Kessler interview, in which I like asked him straight up, like, "Hey, the market thinks you lied to them. What you know? What do you have to say? Right? Like, are you sorry?" Um, and to which he replied, yes. Right. And, uh, and you know, you can still go read that at the athletic. If anyone's curious, it was, um, a really telling interview. Uh, he was great, um, to speak with. He always is for me anyway. And the thing that stands out to me about it is like the Ryan Kessler for years has won, has worn this label as like the guy who lied to the market he wanted out he, he went in front of the cameras after the olympics and said you know i'm not uh, i don't right like no that's not true it was right um he probably isn't in that position if he's dealt at the deadline that year and there was a deal on the table um with anaheim like to, to the team that he ended up going to that you know multiple sources indicate was better than the deal that the Canucks actually ended up getting back for him, which was Spisa, Benino, um, Jared McCann, right? Yep. Um, and it, there was an additional feature future included. I'm not. I'm not sure. Like the players were better that were included, but the the there was an additional future in the deal, and it was vetoed because ownership had lost faith in the management group. Like it was vetoed by ownership, and. You know, fast forward, they make the same deal six months later. Ryan Kessler's legacy in Vancouver and tatters. <laughs> just sort of like collateral damage to organizational dysfunction that characterized that entire 13-14 season, right? Um, when we look back, I, I do think not using a buyout, right? Not exercising the club's ability to carve out additional cap space to improve this year uh, based on my, my financial concerns. And, and look, I, as much as I 
you know, have criticized ownership for slashing 20 to 25% of the player personnel budget this year. Like it, it should be noted that if your ownership and, you know, you've agreed to these deals for Sutter and Beagle and Sven Berchi and Tyler Myers and Louis Erickson and, you know, on and on, right? Um, when, when people come to you and they're, you're being budget conscious and they're like, hey, like we need to spend out of these problems that we've created. Like you can understand why an ownership group that's, you know, being a little conscious about their costs why that's not credible, right? Why why they're like, no, 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 absolutely not. You wear this, you figure it out. This is on you. Like you, that makes sense. Uh, but, you know, you have to use your full weaponry in, in a cap system to improve year after year, especially in a season that was as high leverage for the Canucks as this was last year of Pedersen and Hughes' ZLCs. Uh, not using that buyout, not being permitted to use that buyout as is widely reported. Uh, occurred um you know to me that's going to be like the kessler trade the canary in the coal mine that maybe didn't signal that the end was there yet but you know like like the canucks season if that wasn't the end you could see it from there and i think we'll look back and regard this that moment in the canucks offseason as uh as like jim benning's kessler trade moment i want to go back to post game last night i know you were at the rink i assume you were on the zooms post game as well the coach mm-hmm uh, he was asked about Adam Gaudet, and yes. it was couched of, you know, boy, he looked like he had some hustle last night, and, you know, is that what you want to see? Late game situations. And, <laughs> like, we've always talked about Travis Green and the pause, right, and the sigh. Like, there was a big, long... I, he was He was trying to figure out how he wanted to answer the question, which to me was not a ringing endorsement of a couple of decent showings from Adam Gaudet. Like, that was my yeah. take on it. That, yeah, Gaudet, like, he, he was, I, th- I think he was good in Toronto in the final game the other night. And he was, that line was okay. I mean, Bailey got I hurt. Didn't, I didn't think he was particularly good last night. Okay, fair enough. Neither did the coach, clearly. I didn't. And, and, yeah. and then, like, the fact that he's out there late game, really, if you just, like, peel away the options, you know, he's going to be one of the, because he's one of the few guys that has generated some offense in this league. So you would think that if they roll two lines out there in the final three minutes of a game that he'd be included. But I don't think that that was necessarily the endorsement from the coach that this guy's back. He's uh, been a scratch almost as much as he's played here in the last couple of weeks. So I I really, I felt like Travis Green was biting his tongue there. He didn't want to uh, praise an awful lot. But then the follow-up question was about Hoaglander, who like, did the guy lose a puck battle last night? Like, you yeah, know, no, it, I don't it, think he it, did. I know this isn't a time to be looking for hollow victories, but like, what a tough situation this guy. Like, this is his first look at the NHL. The team's sort of burning to the ground around him. Uh, he just wants to play, and he's playing, and he's playing damn hard. And I, I guess you know, fans do want they want something to get excited about, and he looks like uh, a legit cause, certainly to to carry that torch, but. Uh, they just need so much more. They need so much more. But uh, I will say, the Hoaglander is a ton of fun to watch. And I, I did think last night uh, he probably was. He and Petey were probably the two best Canucks on the ice. Yeah, Hoaglander. Hoaglander's like in that Cliff Ronning, Stan Smeal mold, uh, almost. Like he, he's probably not going to hit that level because those were bona fide first-line players in their day. But, you know, it, it, you can't out root for a guy that size who works that hard and wins battles the way he does, right? Like it's amazing. It's fun. And 
But but you know what an indictment that Hoaglander hits to this extent. Like Hoaglander is now not just a good bet to be like he's not just a decent bet. Like wow, that's found money if he's a capable middle nine, middle six forward, right? Like now it's like Hoaglander's probably a top six forward. Like he's probably a top six forward in the NHL right now at the age of twenty. And if you land that out of nowhere, you know that's the type of thing that if you land that type of piece in the last year of two elite pieces. Finally, I'll see you here. Like, that should be a thing, a development that puts you over the top. Not one that is a bright spot in a wasted season. Right? Totally. Like, yep. even that, even that is tinged with, like, I can't view that not tinged with cynicism at this point. And, man, that's just catastrophic. Like, that's catastrophic for this hockey club. And... Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is the whole thing. It's like burning crater. Like there's a there's there's you know it's it's brutal. It's really tough. And I'm I, I, look. I'm I I thought the I thought the overall the overall um you know the bright spot that is Hoaglander is that you know there is going to be affordable, capable labor available to whoever comes in next or or to this management team should they survive this somehow um you know hoaglander pod colson like that next layer that will give the club some flexibility in the years ahead and that's going to matter a lot like that's going to matter a lot and that is exciting and and you know there's a chance that pod Col- we'll see pod colson at some point this year like that should help push back against some of the apathy um, you know, there are opportunities to maybe turn this around more quickly, right, but, but it's but, going to but be really Tom, tough. you like you were out of market. I know you were following closely, but look, this organization and this fan base have gone down They've this road. This. It, it, yeah. It, like I injecting, it's Brock, not fun. Injecting Brock Besser and Quinn Hughes late in seasons as some sort of distraction and hope for the future. Been there, done that. Doesn't answer a lot of questions. Like, yeah, it's better than something, like, as it's better than nothing, but just feels like <laughs> no it, but it does it You're just right. it feels so You're hollow right. that way like so much right now just feels hollow it sucks and like you know maybe it's just where my head is uh, overall but just it, everything right now around this hockey club feels well, hollow and mine, and, right like yeah all right so for all that we just talked about Nils Hoaglander and the work rate and the hustle and sort of you know being a catalyst on a lot of shifts why isn't it happening for Bo Horvat for years we've talked about Bo, Bo Horvat wanting and needing some stability on his wing and somebody that can hold his own defensively but can bring offense and we've seen it in flashes from Hoaglander Pearson on the other side uh, they've looked good at times but the captain and look I've got all the time in the world for Bo Horvat I, I do I still think that he's a terrific hockey player but I don't think he's playing his best hockey and if it's taking on matchups he's done it before and been able to rise above but he's part of what's going on with this hockey club right now. Like they're just most nights for the last three weeks, even if he's working hard, he's got nothing to show for it. And he means too much to this team. And they saw it in the playoff bubble last year. He is capable of more. And so I know that a lot of people have like had their sights trained on JT Miller and rightly so. It hasn't been a great start to the season for JT Miller, but uh, I, I think, with his role in this hockey club, what he means to this group, the fact he's got a C on his chest, they need more from Bo Horvat, and frankly, yep. it's just, it's not there for him. No, it's not. It hasn't been. And, you know, he was also in the uh, penalty box, right, yeah. for, the, for, the, for the game winner. 
right? Like yeah. for the game winner, that was Bo Horvat in the box. Um, so yeah, no, an ugly night, an ugly night for the captain. And, you know, I, the, the one thing that I, the one reason I have sympathy for Horvat is that he was, he drew the hard match against the best two way line that the flames have, which is the Lindholm Kachuk Dubé line. And in minutes head to head with them, like he narrowly won that matchup. Unfortunately, he also drew the hard match against Hannif and Tanev. And that's the best pairing in hockey right now. Like, we're talking about an expected goals rate that's, like, close to 70% for that pair. Um, it's ridiculous. Like, it's pornographic. And uh, Noah Hannafin was, like, like with, with Tanev on the ice, the Flames outshot the Canucks 7-2 in minutes, the, the seven minutes in which he was hard matched against Horvat last night. And that was it. Like, Horvat was really good. You take that out, Horvat was really good. Um, he just got shut down by the best pair in hockey right now. Like, I, that's kind of how I read last night. Fair like, enough. Fair, like, maybe, maybe maybe that's charitable. Maybe that's yeah. charitable. But but I just, when I when I look into the numbers, like, I see a game that was, you know, not good, but maybe a little better than it looked because you've just got to give Tanev Hannafin a ton of credit. And... You know, I'm in the mood to give Tanev some credit, to be honest <laughs> with you, right? Um, the 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 video tribute for all three guys for which the Canucks were criticized, and we we, we went into the to, into it in the armies. Yeah, um, I had a lot of weird ones when I was in Florida. Like I dealt with a lot. We spent a lot of time talking about how to do player tributes on occasion, right? Now I still remember the Vegas one. Um, you know, we had. Vegas came to Florida for the first time, and it was Gerard's first game in Florida, right? So we needed to do that tribute video. And oftentimes, you're looking at it like, what what do I have to do to not be criticized? You know what I mean? Like, what what do I have to do? Sometimes it's a negative thing, right? Sometimes it's sometimes it's like we got to pay tribute to this guy; he's great. And sometimes it's how do I avoid being pilloried <laughs> by people who, right? Like that, uh, honestly, right? Yeah. And I think we, as I recall, we did Gerard alone, and then we did the players together, Smith, Smith, and and Marsh so together. Tanev deserves his own curtain call in front of this fan base, but in an empty building, are you going to go three different ones? Like there, it was awkward last night. Like you could see it on TV. The players didn't care. You know, like the Canucks bench stick tapped hard, but like man, no one cares. No one cares to to be recognized on a jumbotron in an empty building. Like it. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. And what matters, what means something to people is 18,000 being like, thanks, man. Like, we love you. Like, Tanner Glass should have found the net. You know, like, <laughs> by the way, you can't do a Chris Tanner tribute video and not include the pass yeah. to Tanner that didn't go ah. into the net in game five. Like, that's that's the iconic Chris Tanner moment for me, uh, even even above the series OT winner against the Minnesota Wild. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I think I think they did it right. Ultimately, I I don't I, I don't think maybe they didn't do it right, but they didn't do it wrong because there's two options that are realistic, and and it's you either do Markstrom and Tanev together and split out Josh Levo, which carries its own issues in terms of you know very very explicitly relegating a player who played for you to second class status, right? Or you do it all in one, and it looks a little dissonant because why is Josh Levo with this you know? Well, like well loved, decade long foot soldier in Chris Tanev and a two time team MVP in Jacob Markstrom, like that doesn't make sense, right? Um, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I don't, I don't think ultimately uh, the Canucks 
approach this the wrong way, even though the way they did approach it made it made them look a little bit salty. Um, which is me, by the way, ripping off the words of a former player who, uh, who a former Canucks player who I just texted just to be like, "Do you think the players care at all?" And they were like, "Nah." But but it does make the organization look a little salty, and I was like, "That's perfect. That's right. exactly but, what it is." Um, but I mean, we're at a point know. in time where people are just looking; the knives are out for anything with the Canucks totally. organization, yes. and and I'm with you. Like like him or not as a player, whatever he plays for the Canucks, he played in his 600th game last year or last night. You know, the, he's one of their own. They wanted to acknowledge Jay Beagle, too. And look, Oh, I've, 600 games is a massive milestone. That's what that I, matters. I'm, right. And so yeah. you get three. Like, I don't even know if people have. There's three TV timeouts in a period. And so you're trying to figure out how best to allocate this. Like, you know, look, normal times, Josh Levo's not even getting recognition coming back to Vancouver. If, if the pandemic doesn't hit, he didn't play here long enough. Like, lots of guys come back. I don't think you're getting, maybe like they would put him on the jumbotron at some point in the game, but you know, they're not using a TV timeout for Josh Levo, but he's part of a bigger picture that we all know. Uh, And so like, I get the conundrum for the hockey club and how best to do this. At the end of the day, the Flames players got what they wanted most out of Rogers Arena last night, and that was a win over the Vancouver Canucks. And, and I just knowing Tanev and, and Markstrom, like, yeah, maybe there was some bitterness in the way it went down, certainly on the Tanev front. Like, he's a flame now, and it, you're right. Like, the night didn't mean nearly the same coming back to an empty building. Like, but now, now, the, and you guys wrote about this in the Army, like, the challenge is when people are back in the building and enough time has passed, like, how odd is that going to be to have to sort of go through it again and give Tanev and Markstrom their moments, which I think they probably deserve with fans in the building, but that'll just seem like a strange one as well to have to go down that road again. You're right. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Uh, oh, man. And No, I know. And you pointed out earlier that, you know, the, the schedule here, we've talked about well, the schedule hasn't done them any favors. Here's why the schedule hasn't done them any favors. At, at the outset of the season, the Canucks may even internally have believed that their goaltending had taken a step back, but they truly believed that they had two goalies that were capable of delivering. And we saw it in Montreal where Travis Green threw Holtby against Carey Price, thinking that maybe he'd have an advantage the next night going Thatcher Demko head-to-head against Jake Allen. And that didn't work out, right? And and the Canucks, I think, are one and three in the four sets of back-to-backs that they've played. But now the schedule thins out. And that actually, like, while it, it allows the Canucks to exhale between games, it allows the Calgary Flames to throw Markstrom at them four straight games as well. Oh. I know. I well, how much if Markstrom ends this four game series having not lost a game, right? Oh. And let's say let's say let's say we're looking at eight goals against on 184 shots or something like that, right? Like we're looking at you know a a, a plus a 950 plus save percentage, right? <laughs> um, does he enter? Tyler Toffoli territory as a Canucks revenge, like killer. Yes. Right. Like a yes. revenge spree yeah, killer. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. I, is it worse? Yeah. I, I think because Toffoli didn't play here very long. Like that's the sort of funny party. in all of this is that like, if it's revenge for Toffoli, the guy played 10 games and seven more in the playoffs. Like it doesn't feel like it should be revenge for Tyler Toffoli. But for Markstrom, it was personal. He wanted to be here. Like, he said that repeatedly. And I think he truly wanted to finish what he had started here with this group. And 
And so, yeah, I, I think I think it does. I think it passes to Foley in terms of just the sort of slap in the face, uh, if you will, if if that's the right term. And if he does it with Chris Tanev eating Bo uh, Horvat's lunch yeah. for the whole series and not allowing a goal against it five on five. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's all you, you know what? We all have you can to laugh. Do. We it's have a, to laugh. Totally. About it. No, it's all you can do. I mean, we couldn't have written this stuff at the outset of the season. Like, it couldn't have thought it was going to go this bad this quickly and and no. at the hands how of... Negative, how negative would people have said we were being if oh. we mapped this out? Oh. People would have been like, eight goals in nine games from Toffoli, or eight goals in six games from Toffoli. Sure. Classic negative t- TSN 1040 crew. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Completely. People wouldn't have believed it. Yeah. Hey. It's been wild. We also have to talk about... Tyler Myers, we, we we just we do like the yes. It's it's I get it's a team game and like I don't like to necessarily point at one guy, but it has not it's not gone well for Tyler Myers. And I get part of it's he's so big that his mistakes are loud, but his mistakes are so plentiful as well. And he made a great defensive play earlier in the game with his reach. Was it on Gaudreau? I think it was. Um, yeah, yeah, on the rush, right? Yeah, and and so like I'm not just sitting here and saying that he doesn't make plays, but in moments in games, like it's just not that Gaudreau gets behind him for the dagger goal. It's the play that he makes at the blue line that sort of starts that whole problem, and his problems just seem to compound. And and I, you know, he, he's been exactly who people thought he was going to be. I guess that's the biggest issue is that the organization heard the warnings; they had to have heard the warnings. And still went all in with the contract, and here we are, second year. These are supposed to be the good years of Tyler Myers, and it's just, it's not helping. Yeah, well, not to mention the fact that, what, Tanev and uh, Stetcher's cap hits would roughly equal (laughs) Myers's, right? Anyway, I I mean, it's hard to avoid that. Um, Yeah, look, I'm, I'm... I'm probably Tyler Myers' biggest defender in this market, typically, right? Um, I think he is a second-pair quality defenseman who's got offensive value but limited defensive value, right? Like, that's what I've always thought about Tyler Myers. That's what I thought coming into his Canucks tenure. It's what I still think. Um, you know, he's he's leading the Canucks in even strength ice time among all blue liners. But the underlying numbers are real ugly. and only Quinn Hughes and, you know, Jalen Chatfield really are, you know, faring much worse <laughs> defensively. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it hasn't been good. Hasn't been at all good. We're talking about a guy who's, you know, only only really Ole Olevi uh, and, and, and Travis Hamanick, <laughs> like, who, who really played poorly but hadn't played in a long time and there's context that matters there. Um, have outperformed or have underperformed Tyler Myers in terms of like expected goal differential and and on and on. And all of this goes back to the same, all of this leads back to the same sort of talking point, which is just that this blue line restocking this blue line has been an impossible task for this management group. And, you know, last night, last night, I, you know, one of the few things that I have seen Travis Green do in terms of player deployment, where I really rolled my eyes, was last night on the six-on-five, um, he's got two defenders out, including Alex Edler, 
right? And it's like Alex Edler out on the six on five in in the year of our Lord 2021. Like, <laughs> good heavens, right? Like, I had that moment where I'm just like, what are what are we? Brock Besser's not on the ice right now, but Alex Edler is. Like, what are we doing here, right? Um, I try to keep my criticism of of coaches basically to are the right guys out in the right situations. Uh, Green almost always passes that test. That that moment last night, I rolled my eyes at it a bit, and yet. You know, when I look at the underlying metrics, when I look at performance, like it's hard for me to escape the conclusion that Alex Edler's probably been Vancouver's best defenseman. In the year of our Lord 2021, Alex Edler is Vancouver's best defenseman still. 15 years later. <laughs> like, with, like, with that's, yeah, and that's with, not acceptable. With a pension for penalties. Right. Because- well, I mean, he. His movement is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he, it's understandable. I mean, the league's just, fast. He, the league's fast. It gets faster by the year, and he's going to be thirty-five or soon. Like, that's just right. the nature of the beast. He's he's found a way to survive in an environment that is cruel as anything to him, right? And you know that's a that's a credit to his hockey brilliance. Honestly, it is, but it's also like a damning indictment. Of what this club's been able to draft and develop along the back end, right? Like, I, I think we're, I think we're past, I think we're past the Jalen Chatfield, Olio Levy, our NHL players part of the season, right? Like, we're, we yeah. know that now. Do we? Well, do we know that they're NHL we players? Do, right? That they're NHL players? No, do we know, do we know that they're not? Wow. We know that if, now, right? Are we writing off your levy entirely? Like that, because if yes. that's okay, then that's... Well, I mean, sorry, sorry. I have been for a long time. Like, this is not new for me, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> I've but, been but a that just, levy skeptic that just for a deepens, long time. That deepens the conversation because, to your point, if Alex Edler is the best Canuck defender in 2021, he was drafted in 2004. He was drafted in 2004. Yeah. It's 2021. I know. Well, and and it, you know, it's a reflection on Hughes's struggles too, right? Like sure. Hughes's yep. defense defensive play has just been really bad this year. Really bad. Just and, just don't and, don't ask him about it. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, but you know what? Fair enough. Like he's a proud guy. He's like oh, he's I, I su- like that he I su- like that he won't cop to it. He's supremely confident. No, there's no doubt. I I mean, I yeah. think but in a market like this when the numbers don't lie, I think you have to be a bit of a realist too. But I get it. I, I get like for for athletes to be exceptional, they have to have that mindset. And so, I, like, I got a bit of a kick out of like he just wouldn't go there the other night. Like it was defiance almost about his season. And I mean, I think I said on the last pod, like the, the one thing I didn't like was when he said, "Well, if you look at the goals," which I took to mean like if you look at the goals, I wasn't involved. That, that if if he had finished the sentence that way, I think it absolutely would have blown up in his face. He probably had the good sense not to complete the sentence and just left those of us to kind of, you know, figure out and try and imply what he was actually meaning with that statement. But that's who he is. And, and you know, for him to play his way out of it, they're going to need a, a confident Quinn Hughes. But it, it just hasn't happened for him. Yeah. No. I, and and the – but you know what? I do think, too, like the Hughes storyline is going to be really interesting to watch. I, I was I was sort of piecing it together in my head yesterday, J-Pat, and I'll probably write it at some point. but. You know, I remember him coming into training camp for his first Canucks training camp in Victoria, right? And he gets paired immediately with Tanev, like one of the most respected defensive defenders in the game, right? Yeah. And, you know, they spend that weekend together. They watch football together. I have I have Hughes quotes somewhere on my voice recorder about 
how they watched football together on the Sunday and had like a great time and how great a guy Chris Tanev is, right? So like they became friends right from the get-go, right? Tanev takes him under his wing on and on. Comes into camp this year and he's paired with Jalen Chatfield. Like if you're a young man still learning the ropes and you go from, you know, this guy who you're almost like awed by, you know, and then you've got a guy who you're paired with who you're maybe not sure is an NHL player, right? Um, I think that sort of matters. Before the bubble, uh, Hughes said, you know, the Canucks know, like this organization knows the value that Tan, like they're going to do the right thing, right? Like, do you remember that quote from his hotel room when he was in cohort quarantine? I do, yes. Um, Like that's a loaded quote. And then when you look back at what he said after the Toronto game, right, about how the team lost some good players, um, you know, this this is another thing where when you're counting pennies, you can miss opportunities, right? Like. You can miss opportunities in that you wait too long to get down to brass tacks with Jacob Markstrom, right? You can also wait too long to begin meaningful contract dialogue with Hughes and Pedersen, right? Like if you talk to Hughes and Pedersen after the playoffs about extensions, the conversation is a little different because they're like, we're a team on the rise than it is going to be when the conversations begin in earnest this spring, right? Now, like, for, forget a hometown discount, right? Like, that's out the window. That's out the window. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do think that that's a, a storyline worth tracking here, too. Like, it's not just the on-ice form. It's also everything that comes with that in terms of committing to an organization that, you know, clearly has, you know, funky vibes and a variety of people who are very upset and... You know, pointing fingers, uh, I think, even. Probably. Internally. You have to be at this point. And, you know, that's just that's just an ugly place to be and a sign of an organization and a season that's rapidly going off the rails. All right. For newcomers to the VanCast, you and I at the outset of the season tried to project the goals that would be scored by... Vancouver Canuck players. We said earlier in this Stick podcast... Bedtime. We said earlier in this podcast... Nobody's scoring many goals, but we do like to check in on the steak bet. Well, there is one steak that's only available by special request. Uh, we call it uh, sirloin a lot. It's uh, the size of a boogie board. Ooh, I'll have that one. And a drink? Meatballs. Very good, sir. Uh, Brock Besser. The steak bet. Yeah. Brock Besser is the only guy that's scoring for the Vancouver Canucks. He's got two of the last three goals they've scored. They've only scored three in the last three games. That's a massive issue. Uh, so there aren't a lot of guys that have bumped their totals when it comes to our bet. Uh, and I was excited that Besser, Besser's halfway to to my projection. After 17 games, he's got 10 goals. Like, that's hard to take away from him. 16 all of last year, and he's at 10. Good for him. And that was an incredible pass from Elias Patterson last night. And so, again... An incredible deke. Yeah, you're looking for... Yeah, to get it all started. You know, and you're looking for little signs of hope. And, and again, I, I think... PD showing some signs of those. But Bester was on the finish, uh, stuck with it. Marksman couldn't find that puck. So Brock Bester's scoring, that's great, except that you have him for one more goal than I do. You have him at 21 on the season. I got him at 20, so mm-hmm. I'm not liking that. I, I don't like that at all. Keep scoring. <laughs> Keep scoring, Brock. Although although with Bo Horvat going quiet, yes. right? Oh, Bo no. Horvat, my, my predicted leading scorer going quiet. Yeah. Like, that's a big swing for you, right? Of course, it is. there's a six-goal gap in our projections. I've got 23. You've got 17. That's looking good for you, but man, the Adam Gaudet gap is three. Oh. I've got nine. You've got twelve. That oh, one that is in my pocket. Yeah. Um. I've got I've got Vertanen though for one more than you do. 
does he even get back in the lineup? Honestly. Like, like even with the, Bailey getting the, hurt, does that, he get back in the lineup? Tom, that's another bet. Like, you know, we've done these little micro bets within the show. Like, does Jake Vertanen score another goal for the Vancouver Canucks? I think that's an oh, honest. Oh, I don't know. I think that's an honest question. Yeah. Oh, man. Man, what a sign that the season's gone off the rails. That we're From, like, Godette and Vertanen are not going to get close to double-digit goal no, totals. Like, no. oh, man. That is... That's that's a bad, bad sign <laughs> for this hockey club. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, Bailey... You can't tell me that Bailey, you know, who, who looks like he suffered a shoulder injury yeah, um, yesterday. And, and that's really too bad. Because he'd been playing well. But he also was, like, doing... He he was everything that Jake Vertanen brings, basically in in the cameo that he's made for the club over the last week, and you know he's doing it on a two way deal. Yep, um, yeah. it can be done. You know, it can be it can, it can be done. <laughs> the uh, yeah the the Vertanen thing that Toronto Maple Leafs shift that shift in Toronto. I, I just I've never seen a player pick up a loose puck in the slot and try to skate with it across their own net. I've just never seen it. Like JPAD, I've just never seen it in the NHL. Right. And um, so that that shift led to a penalty. The Leafs got a power play, they didn't score, but they generated momentum and right after the penalty uh, yeah. that was the first of the two goals. Like it, you can track back to the It swung the, it hockey. swung the whole game. It's it swung the whole game, period. Like if that that shift with the neutral zone turnover, it swung the game. If you're if you're if you're a coach or a player on the team and they're much more concerned with momentum than I am as like a statistical analyst, right? I'm not worried too much about that. Yeah. But from the perspective of a coach or a player, you look at that shift and you think that swung the game. That's, you know, those multiple moments of stupidity on the same garbage shift. Um, I think it's really tough to come back from that. I, I'm not going to be shocked. Like Mott's out of the lineup. Bailey might be out of the lineup. They need Vertanen's speed, and I don't know that he's getting... Like, McEwen played only three minutes last night, and with all of those circumstances, yeah. I still don't know that Vertanen plays on Saturday. Yikes. The McEwen deployment was weird, but I will say in the coach's defense, a lot of times when he loses a forward, it's almost easier just to go down to three lines at that point rather than trying to mix and match. But still... You know, nineteen seconds over Play the final. Nineteen seconds over the final thirty minutes of the hockey game, though, was it, it was know, weird. And I, like that, and I thought he played well. He had like a pretty good shift yeah, in there. Like I, I thought he had a, he he had a fine game. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to criticize over McEwen's. No, game. no, 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 no. I just that was sort you of know, a, he's a, a plug bit and of play. A, yep. Yeah, but no, it see, was weird. But it if, was weird. But if Bailey's out and Mott is out, like it would seem like an opportunity for McEwen. Uh, there's been a little bit of life shown by Gaudet, but not enough yet. And then these other guys that we wonder, and uh, we'll see where it goes. I do want to mention this, and I wish I had a name. I, I should have, because I got a laugh out of it, and I needed a couple of laughs this week. And and some guy came at me on Twitter and, and wanted to get in on our wagering game. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he suggested that I would have full-time work before Brandon Sutter scores another goal for the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, I give, I give like, I don't make that bet with odds. Like I make that as an even money bet. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, the, <laughs> uh, you know what? I also want to shout out Dan Murphy, by the way, oh, uh, and, and, and Ian McIntyre and Dan Riccio, um, 
I just thought that that was a lovely moment on the broadcast last night. I thought they handled it exceptionally well. Um, it didn't, it didn't need to be done. Uh, I thought it was done in the spirit of, you know, camaraderie and, and, you know, an understanding of the challenges we all are in together in this business. It didn't feel at all like, uh, like Rogers dunking on bell or whatever. Like it had no sense of that. And, and I think that's a tough needle to thread, but trust, you know, a a guy like a guy like Murph just class through and through. Um, to to make sure that it hit the right notes, that it came off the right way, he did that. I, I thought that was a lovely call out to 1040 staffers. Um, I I appreciated it. I think I, I think a lot of people did. I think that was a classy moment, and I just wanted to note that uh, this podcast has been widely negative, but the overall humanity in evidence by Murph, by Travis Green, by Bo Horvat, right? Totally, all yep. of whom commented on on you know the plight of. Um, uh, you know us and our 1040 colleagues um uh, meant a lot to me personally and uh and i just wanted to call that out no i'm glad um, you did as uh, we I, sort of wind down absolutely here. i'm glad you did and uh no i was sitting at home watching uh and, and i wasn't expecting that so uh you know i've reached out to murph throughout the week i've heard from him and and so many and and it's again it just it means the world that uh meant a lot of time in my hands to sort of scroll through the phone and just the messages that have continued to come in. And I've, I've tried to keep up and tried to get back because uh, uh, more than anything, it's just been a reminder of the connections made that it was an incredible job. Loved it. I know we all did a whole bunch of very talented pros are, are out on the street right now and it's a tough situation, but these kind words do help. And so to everybody that has taken a moment out of your time you got busy lives, and to think that uh, you know you, you felt compelled to reach out to some guy and a voice on the other side of the radio. Uh, but I, more than anything, I just have been struck by the connection that that radio station made to yeah so many. And so again, if that brings them here to the VanCast, craving local Canuck content, then uh, we're here for you, and we're looking at ways to make this thing bigger and better, and hopefully we can and, and grow it because we know the demand is there. But I thought, too, Tom, that you covered it in the armies last night, and if people haven't read it, you know, a nice tribute to what was left behind uh, in the, the pile of rubble that is 1040 now, but also just the importance of everybody recognizing that there is only one game in town, and if we want sports radio and a place to vent and and commiserate and everything else. Uh, podcasts are great, and we certainly hope that uh, there's growth potential for this one. But in terms of over the air, uh, there's only one player in town, and that's 650. And and it is sort of that point in time now that uh, like them or not, you know, try them, give them a chance, see what's there, see what you like about them. If you don't like things, reach out, let them know. I mean, they can grow and change yeah, and all that it. kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, engage with it, right? And engage with it, and. Totally. Um, pressure them to be better, comment, call in, text in. But if you care about sports talk radio in this market, and I know we both do passionately, like the time is now throw your weight behind it. This is, we've gone from radio wars to total war in support of, you know, an industry, which is Vancouverites covering their own teams in a uniquely Vancouver way. And 650, 650 is the last hope. Like we, we need to have their back. We need to tune in. We, We don't need to like it. We, 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 you know, we, we can make suggestions. We can be critical. I mean, that's what this market does. We're critical of everything, <laughs> yes. but, uh, but, but, but tune in 
if you're an advertiser, <laughs> consider sponsoring. If you're a listener, tune in and engage. Um, this is it. Like this is we. You know, we've got a short runway to show that this is viable. We know that it is. We've seen enough. We know that this is. And you know, I did want to put out that call to action. Uh, support 650. Support local sports talk radio. It matters. It's community. It's the background noise um, that you know sort of keeps tie keeps and ties this eccentric market together. And and for people who leave, like tethers them to their hometown. Uh, I think it's important. And uh, and I did want to put out that call. Support 650. Um, they're they're going to need us. Uh, we're going to need them. And we need them to succeed. So uh, I'm in their corner and, and I hope and I beseech all of our VanCast listeners who love this content and who love hearing people talk about the Canucks and talk about Vancouver sports uh, to throw your weight and your support behind them. Um, it matters and we need it now. Amen to that. Let's finish up with this. If you're looking for other pot options, there are many here at The Athletic. Again, if you're new, uh, certainly explore uh, the VIPs, roam through the app, see what you're looking for. Jason Spezza of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You remember him? He scored a hat-trick against the Canucks not that long ago. Uh, he's Pierre Lebron and Scott Burnside's guest this week on Two Man Advantage, uh, the edition, that edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. So you can check that out. And also check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. Many of you have done that. Uh, we saw that uh, the other day that people were here for us. And we thank you for that. If you're not already a subscriber... What are you waiting for? We just talked about local coverage. Go to theathletic.com slash vancast. Receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. Grants are good stuff. As always, uh, looking forward to... This is it. This is going to be the highlight of my week now. Is uh, the, the times <laughs> that we get together uh, here on the VanCast. Let's see what the weekend brings. Oh, yeah. Another visit from Jacob Markstrom and Chris Tanev. Uh, but we'll be back to break it all down, as we always do, right here on the VanCast at theathletic and theathletic.com. <laughs>